0: Hello, hello. Welcome to the Back Porch Podcast. I'm Corey Dempsey.
1: And I'm Andrew Beam.
0: We are back today with part two of our series on underappreciated films from the 2000s era. And we're joined once again by our good friend, Zach Howe. Zach, what's going on, man?
2: Oh, just another another day in paradise.
0: (laughs) Dude, actually, I don't know why, but that reminds me. You would just be right at home at Bachelor in Paradise, or really anywhere in Bachelor Nation. Of course you're married, but like, <laughs> you know, take this back five years. You would have been, you would have been ace on that show.
2: Oh my God. I w- yeah. It Prior to uh, being in a relationship with Natalie, I would have been a reality TV terrorist. Um, oh, wow. The problem is I, w- I would never take it seriously enough. So that's what I mean. Like I would just stir shit up on the show, get kicked off after four episodes and that would be that.
1: <laughs> is that, is that what happened? Like in the latest Bachelor? i know there was like some sort of
0: controversy i don't know no the the girl was found to have made a variety of insensitive and racist tweets and comments in the past that was the controversy and then rachel Uh Lindsay, the first black bachelorette basically took chris harrison the host to task and now he's off the show it's a whole thing
2: i i would like it on the record not be racist on The Bachelor. All right. <laughs> I would just be drunk the whole time.
0: Dude, if I was Bachelor in Paradise, I would just be ham sandied the whole time. And like, I'm on a beach with free booze. Are you nuts? Like, yeah. Sign me up. But anyway, we are talking about the underappreciated films from the 2000s. Last time around, Zach, which, which films did you discuss?
2: So we covered The Great Johnny English mm-hmm. and the Very Underappreciated Green Street. Street
0: Hooligan. yeah. So, Green Street Hooligans and Johnny English were on your list. I talked about The Strangers and Irreversible, a controversial pick. And <laughs> uh, this time around, we're going to go through three more films. And so, do you think we should quickly just go over, just
1: in case, maybe a quick reminder: what is the criteria here of what qualifies a underappreciated film from the two thousands era?
0: Fair enough. So, the two kind of factors that are involved with underappreciated is very little seen. And for that, we kind of decided that it had to have grossed less than 50 million, meaning, you know, against its budget, it didn't really make that much money. And the second thing was its Metacritic score had to be below 70, indicating that it wasn't necessarily universally loved by critics either.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. And this one, actually, my next one's interesting in that regard, because I feel like when it came out, a lot of people knew it, knew about it, and were hyped for it. But then, due to disappointing reviews, not a lot of people saw it.
0: And so, we are here on a Sunday morning, and because it is a Sunday morning at, what, eleven.
1: Yeah, but I, no. It's more just because the beer that we had yesterday that I think fit the theme. Well, we drank both of them. In terms of what I have in my fridge, I think for an eleven a.m. in terms of what would be appropriate, all I have is a nine percent imperial stout. Other than that, a thirty-two ounce a thirty-two ounce crowler of of a milk stout, which I don't need two of those to my face for like right now.
0: Yeah, totally fair. It's I need so- an hour. We are not going to be partaking this morning. Instead, we are going to be drinking the finest Canada to Dry Diet ginger ale. Let's get started. <laughs>
1: Might be the most softest thing that we've done on this show.
0: <laughs> Daryl's soft birthday party. <laughs> I actually
1: have an open unfinished
2: Sam Adams on the table next to me right now from uh my one AM video gaming last night. <laughs> I'm, tempted. I'm tempted.
1: We started you off with what? Was it Scotch or is it
2: Yes. It started out started out with Scotch yesterday. That turned into beers, which turned into playing Xbox until one AM. Good good for you, man. I say Sounds good on like you,
1: late. yeah. Let's let's get into this, man. What's what's the next movie you're looking to talk about here?
2: All right, so movie number three is The Kingdom with uh, Jamie Foxx, Jennifer Garner, Jason Bateman, directed by the one and only Peter Berg, Corey's favorite
0: director. Not my favorite. Corey, do you, <laughs> you have any thoughts
2: on Peter Berg?
0: <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts on Peter Berg. I, I feel like every movie that he ever releases is something that on paper I would love and then when I watch it I don't particularly enjoy it. The best thing that he's ever done is the Friday Night Lights TV show. Not the movie. I don't particularly like the movie all that much. But the TV show, you know, he was a key figure in that. He directed a few of the first couple episodes and you know I I like that. His movies less so. I kind of liked Patriots Day. Patriots Day was okay.
2: Wow I actually haven't seen
0: that one. I that one which one is Patriots Day? Where Mark Wahlberg plays oh. an amalgamation of like nine cops in the Boston, the Boston Marathon bombing, like trying to find the guy. Right. It's a, it's a movie. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it's like the most faithful retelling of a tragic event, but you know. Does he have a
1: habit of putting himself in his movies?
0: Well, yeah, a Didn't little he, bit. He did it in this movie. He's in this movie. He's in this movie for a brief moment. He's in one of my movies later. Yes, he, he is. He shows up. He shows up acting in some movies.
2: Yeah. I actually forget. He might. Yeah, he might be in this one briefly in the kingdom. I can't remember now.
0: He definitely is. He's one of the FBI agents when yeah. Flurry is kind of addressing the whole ag- well, what seems like the whole agency. It's obviously not the whole agency, but you know everyone that's involved uh, po- post bombing. So yeah, talk, yeah. Talk to us about the kingdom. What do you love about it?
2: All right. So this one's one I lo- I really liked, and I liked when it came out. Um, it came out in two thousand seven, which you know, as we all, uh, of course, remember, two thousand seven was a, a far more hot time. I feel like for Middle East relations, re- our Middle East relationship in this country. So I thought it was interesting. The, the movie itself was interesting because um, the themes that it talks about are they end they end on a positive note there are positive themes within the movie which is something you don't necessarily always see and it can border at times on hokey you know similar to the way crash might but i still liked what the overall goal of it was and um for people who haven't seen it so in the movie uh it starts off with a truck bombing in is it saudi it's saudi arabia right correct so there's a truck bombing ends up killing a bunch a bunch of Americans. Um, oh yeah, it's on a, it's on like an a, um, one of those communities where oil and gas people live. Either way, the FBI and Jamie Fox come to investigate, and the whole movie surrounds or t- the whole movie is about these FBI agents working with the Saudi police to tr- try to uncover who did this. And of course, there's a ton of distrust the entire time. Uh, Jamie Foxx, and what is his name? I always forget. Um, Ashraf Barham, who's also a phenomenal actor. They are the, essentially the two central figures who start off hating each other, but come to have a mutual respect for each other. And I just thought it was a I don't know, it was a positive message about how you can overcome your your cultural differences to respect each other.
0: I agree to an extent, and I really, really enjoy the dynamic between Jamie Foxx's character and Ashram Barham's character. I think that the one scene where they're kind of discussing the incredible Hulk and the $6 million man and Jamie Foxx goes, Oh man, that's my shit. And then Ashraf Barham's character goes, Oh, do you need the bathroom? And it's just a funny little exchange that kind of shows that cultural difference that you know they don't really understand the slang of one another and so little moments like that I do feel like are good and I do feel like they were attempting to you know share a positive message but then at the same time I have a lot of issues with the fact that the FBI just goes into a foreign country blows the fuck out of everything and it's just like It's it's just a bit muddled with the message that it's trying to get across because yes, on the one hand, you're trying to spread this, and like that last scene is very tender and nice, but everything that came before it is like kind of anti that, and I'm just it it confuses me a little bit. It's it's almost as
1: if like the cast of Fast and Furious came through and just ripped up the area and. Had no regard for anything that was going on around it, but everyone you know welcomed them as heroes at the end, <laughs> which is just kind of what this is kind of how it goes.
2: You guys are actually leading me directly into uh, one of my next points, and it's another one Corey's gonna love. Okay, oh, is the holy trinity of 2000 ish action directors in my mind are Peter Berg, Michael Bay, and Zack Snyder. Oh, I he, find most. Boiling. <laughs> I mo- I find most of their films to be incredibly engaging, even if they are at the same time so dumb. So what I want to talk about with regard to The Kingdom is Peter Berg and Michael Bay are the same person with their movies where they create these films that are so pro-Americana and, ha- and oh, yes. give off the message that America will – it, it portrays America in a positive light only – and it shows that America will fix a problem no matter what, no matter the cost. We're always and gonna I win. get it. It's I get it. It's extremely hokey, and it it has a 1950s ish attitude to it. But I can't help. I can't help myself. I absolutely love it. All right, I love my country, and we're gonna fix shit. And I love watching movies about us fixing shit. <laughs>
0: And listen, I appreciate that about you. And like, it brings a good balance to our friendship. I am completely the opposite. I think we're the fucking worst. And I think we ruin everything, which is why, you know, I don't particularly love Peter Berg's movies and Michael Bay. I'd say I have a complicated relationship with his movies. I love them, but I hate <laughs> that I complicated. love them. <laughs> Facebook status, it's complicated with Michael Bay. <laughs>
2: So to elaborate on that point, this holy trinity of directors idea, which I came up with last night at, you know, a few beers deep, all three of those guys make movies where the the way they film their movies and make them are actually very unique. They have their own distinct style and they do, I will argue legitimately, they do an extremely good job of making movies that the masses can absolutely love in the middle of a in the middle of the summer in an air-conditioned theater. And I think there is an art to that. It's not, Corey, you and I were texting about this. It's not Francis Ford Coppola making The Godfather, but there's something very impressive about the way they put together a film or a movie that just attracts, it it attracts eyeballs. Um, One specific example, this is Michael Bay, not necessarily Peter Berg, but one example I know he's talked about in the past is he uses color, in a way that he knows uh, makes people look more attractive on screen, which ultimately makes audiences want to see them. And it, he did this in Transformers, actually did it in Armageddon too. He talks about how he always loves to use orange and blue lighting because they contrast so well on somebody's skin. It makes them look just hotter. So I, that's that's something that I find impressive. He figured out how to make people look better, which therefore gets people to want to watch
0: his movie.
1: Yeah, I definitely was a lot more attracted to Bruce Willis in Armageddon than I was in any other movie.
0: No, for sure. <laughs> and he has this other trick, and th- this is a this is an incredible story. He has this other trick where he likes to shoot actors from like right below, looking up at their chin, because it makes them look like regal and heroic. And he likes them to have like really big, shiny teeth. And Ben Affleck in Armageddon, he decided didn't have big enough teeth. So he had like all these fake teeth that he made Ben Affleck put in so that he had this big old fucking like Chomperworth style uh, or smile that just like looked huge and pearly white and et cetera. And like, he just, he does, he has this way of making people look really, really attractive in his movies. It's true. Ben
2: Affleck in Armageddon has the largest teeth in history.
0: Yeah. And they're fake. Uh, <laughs> fake I didn't teams. know
1: that. That, oh, yeah. that makes, that's interesting. Let me get back to the kingdom. Cause I, I feel like I'm talking, I'm going off
2: on all these other tangents. I really like Jamie Foxx's performance in it. He, he has this shimmering rage building up in him throughout pretty much all of his scenes. He, which just makes him very compelling to watch the entire time. And again, for people who, who haven't seen the movie, it's because his partner was killed in this in this bombing, so it's very important to him. I thought he was particularly incredible. Uh, Jennifer Garner is okay. She's Jennifer Garner in it.
1: it they could have done You're a better job with her character. I don't know. I don't know if it's as much it was her as it was. I feel like the way it was written, she didn't have much
2: to it, do. It, this is the second movie I've chosen where. Like you know, an actress gets screwed more because of the writing, not because she screws up. I don't know what that says about me.
1: No, we've had other movies that we've talked about. I think that were in a, in a similar vein. Unfortunately, this is
0: just the '90s and 2000s yeah. in movies. It's unfortunate, and also like you like what you like, and it's not your <laughs> yeah. it's not your fault that they <laughs> fucked the
2: character up. Well, so that perfect uh, segue to um, where I was thinking about you know stuff that wouldn't necessarily fly in 2021. Mm. I mean. Interestingly, like a lot of the stuff that these guys say back and forth to each other, but particularly Americans saying to Middle Easterners or Saudi Arabians, obviously there there are a lot of racial or racist things said to these people. Uh, That wouldn't fly in 2021, but at the same time, I mean, it is an accurate portrayal of how people thought about Middle Easterners back in 2007. So Mm -hmm. while, yes, you definitely shouldn't say that shit, it is also... I would say accurate within the movie in the context of
0: the film. Yeah, I mean, the only, I completely agree with you. The only other, you know, I I suppose criticism that I have is while I agree with you that Peter Berg has a very distinct style, it's not necessarily a style that I love. And it's a problem that I also have with Paul Greengrass and what he does in like the Bourne movies. During these action sequences, the constant quick cutting, So that, I mean, it it, it brings you into it and it makes you feel the, the hectic nature of the scene, but the same way that you had a problem with irreversible where like, you can't follow what's happening because it's, it's going so much. Like I I have the same problem with Peter Berg. I have the same problem with Paul Greengrass, that constant quick cutting and shaky cam. I'm just like, I don't know what's happening in this action sequence. And I want to know because it's fucking cool. And I just don't – I don't particularly enjoy when they do that during action sequences. It's a problem that I have with a bunch of the, this era. There's got, a lot. They got us
1: obsessed with it. There's a lot, I feel like, in terms yeah. of movies where you have these action scenes where it's, like, not well lit. You can't see anything or, like, their camera angles, like you said. They'll do shaky cam shit and it's just, like
0: I – can't, I can't follow what – I, I would
1: rather just see what's happening. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Corey, because, yeah, if there is one – one
2: trend to identify a 2000s era action movie it is shaky cam and i agree in the in the first born movie it's good it's cool it's new unique second second born movie okay still looks cool maybe getting a little bit over the top but still fine third born movie seems like it's filmed by a guy with parkinson
0: it is so hard to watch born ultimatum is impossible to follow and i love the born identity I really enjoy the Born Supremacy and then afterwards it just kind of goes off a cliff for, for various reasons. But Born Ultimatum, it it's just down to the shaky cam. Like I can't I can't follow what's you're what you're trying to do. I don't have any idea what's happening in any of these sequences. And I wanna know because it's freaking cool. Can you stop just cutting back and forth to all these things? You, I don't understand.
1: You choreographed for a reason. Yeah. So we could see these beautiful uh, scenes. Under-
2: Underrated movie for the two thousand tens, I actually kinda liked The Born Legacy with Jeremy Renner. I think he got screwed by not being able to carry that franchise further.
0: I it was decent. It it got a lot more shit than it deserved. I i happen to agree. Anything else in um, the Kingdom Zach? Yeah. No, I think that's that's all I got for that
2: one. I I really do like it. Maybe I didn't elaborate enough, but I did like it a lot. Um oh, last thing with Peter Berg and I, Similarly with Zack Snyder and Michael Bay that's why they're the Holy Trinity they all always have phenomenal soundtracks accompanying their movies. Wait what
1: was the soundtrack with this one
2: like what? sorry not soundtrack I guess not soundtrack just the um the just score. The, the music oh, the score, yeah, the score. Oh,
0: okay. yeah. you know i I know I was critical but i I enjoyed the kingdom i it's a bit muddled it's trying to be a bit more than it actually is but was it an enjoyable watch yeah i I had a pretty good time the even if I had problems with the ending action sequence, like it's, it's bonkers and like pretty, pretty engaging. And, you know, I, I like that dynamic between Fox and ba- Bashram and, you know, a solid, solid pick.
2: All right, cool. I'm, yep. Yeah, I'm good on the kingdom.
1: Um, all right, Corey,
2: definitely
1: what's 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 the next one you want
0: to talk about then? So my next two both fit a similar theme, and I'm not going to introduce both of them, but I'll talk about the theme that connects them. These are both underappreciated comedies from the two thousands, and they're not in that top tier of like Anchorman and forty year old Virgin. Forgetting Sarah Marshall, kind of all those Apatow comedies. It's not in that top tier. And I feel like all those are properly appreciated. They made lots of money. They're pretty critically, you know, critics generally like them. But these next two are films that I feel like belong in the tier right below that. But instead, they're just kind of entirely forgotten relics of that era. You know, Zach, you had never even heard of one of them. And so... The first one that I want to talk about is Out Cold, the snowboarding comedy featuring Zach Galifianakis and Jason London and a whole bunch of other people that were either before or past their primes in this movie. The first thing I'll say about this movie is that I just really love a kind of niche comedy. And what I think about is something like Grandma's Boy, which is so niche to the pothead video game community. And I just, I just love when they set it up within this kind of small space and out cold for me is the one that is kind of the winter sports winter vacation, you know, comedy movie. And there's not many of them out there. You know, I think probably hot tub time machine you could put in there, which is a really funny movie, And the other one, which also happens to star John Cusack, I don't know what that's about, but is better off dead from the eighties. And I really like that one too. But if I'm queuing one up at the beginning of December, you know, when I'm about to go on that first ski trip or snowboarding trip or whatever it is, I'm queuing up out cold and I'm just sitting down and having a great time for an hour and a half because it's just, it's just a fun movie. It's, it's stupid as hell, but like what comedies aren't. (laughs)
1: No, it's <laughs> it's it's super silly. I mean, like, too, you got Zach Alphinakis. Like, I think this has got to be one of his
0: one of his first one roles. of his
1: first roles, and that would kind of like introduce me to who Zach Alphinakis was. Uh, I'd seen this movie a while back. Like, like you said, it's not an upper tier like comedy film, but it is a perfect one to just throw on late at night when it's like, ah, what the fuck we're we gonna watch? And yeah, particularly probably going into the December. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 good. It's definitely comedy that wouldn't fly now. No, there's so many problematic. Things it's so in many this, problematic in this things. Movie, but um. I mean the whole the whole concept of it too, with like the former owner and just like the statue of him with his pants down, and
0: it's all it's all so fucking silly. goofy. Yeah. It's
1: it is no, it's it is, but it's it's a weird charm for it, I guess.
0: Exactly, and it it's charming because it just leans all the way into that. It knows that point. It's creepy. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple <laughs> things, but I mean everything about it is just like it's funny and light and you know, one of the things there's two things that I really love about it. And the first is they cut corners all over the place in this movie in terms of who they hired as actors in terms of who they hired to write the script. But the one thing that they did not cut corners on was the snowboarding sequences because they're really, really good. Yeah. Like they, yeah they went all out to hire like the best stunt people And I just really respect when in a movie that includes some kind of sports thing, they really commit to like doing it well because there's nothing that upsets me more in a movie than when like the sports are really bad. Like I always think about Teen Wolf with Michael J. Fox from the 80s, the basketball in that is the worst basketball I've ever seen. And they keep reusing clips because they couldn't get enough clips (laughs) to make like a full basketball like sequence, and it's just uh, it, it upsets me. So, like in a movie like this, when they do a really good job with that sports thing, I really enjoy it. And the second thing is the cast. And Zach, you pointed out a bunch of these. So, talk to us about the cast in Out Cold that you that you noticed when you were watching.
2: This is a movie. I like I told you, I had never even heard of this movie before. So when actually when you first texted me your list, I thought Out Cold was going to be some gross horror movie about something happening with like the abominable snowman so wow. I look I finally look it up I'm like oh this looks like a dumb comedy from the 2000s perfect and I will say there you you guys already talked about this a bit but like there is something just so warm and fuzzy when you watch like someone our age watches movies like this it takes me back to an era where yes like it you know what it takes me back to these are the com- the daytime comedy central hits this and your other one like wow. this movie this would be on Comedy Central for a year and a half straight every day at noon. (laughs) And there's something just, that I don't know, there's something so nostalgic about watching it. But anyway, um, yeah, I turned this movie on, and in the first, I don't know, the first 90 seconds, the first minute and a half, already I see there's young Zach Galifianakis, which I hadn't heard of him before he did that um, Can't Tell Me Nothing music video spoof Mm. uh, with Kanye West. Champ Kind from from the uh, from Anchorman, yeah, who is David,
0: phenomenal. David Keckner playing Stumpy in this movie Who is just a phenomenal. He's just such a great role have, player.
2: I have him written
0: down in my notes. His speech, his speech that
2: he gives about like <laughs> yeah. living back in the eighties. Here, not to. Uh, I'm sidetracking us again, but no, please do. His, where he he goes back in the eighties. Ford was president. Nixon was in the White House. And FDR was screwing everything up. And it's no, it's, and then he goes. It's, to it's, this situation where rich billionaires are coming in and buying up his ski town in Utah, and he, he says something, something. And he goes, "The streets are running with lattes, which is just incredible.
0: No, you're absolutely um, right. That, like, I, I feel like it's so perfect in a representation of like the drunk ski bum guy who just. Talks nonsense at the bar, but everybody loves him. He's trying he's to just relive like, the glory days. He's he's not he's not a bad guy. He's not har- harming anybody, but he's just like drunk and nonsensical <laughs> constantly. It, it cracks yeah, me up. He, he
2: was incredible. Um, but yeah, really powerhouse. So Thomas Lennon from uh, Reno 911, who's his typical great self. <laughs> Jason London, who you already mentioned, obviously from Days Been Confused, he he is an interesting career to me because he was great and Dazed and Confused and then I don't know just falls off the face of the earth right like I don't really know anything else he's in It's except it's, for this
0: one. it's very bare and I, I wanted more for Randall Pink Floyd I love him yeah yeah exactly who
2: else oh yeah Roy from The Office who plays the closeted gay bartender and talk about stuff that wouldn't fly in the 2000 in 2021 Yeah, they those, didn't, like. they, they didn't you know, handle him well no no, he's like, like, it's clear the moment you meet him. You know exactly what this 2000s-era movie is doing with this character. He's closeted gay. You can tell completely. And all the jokes are so, at this point, tired and things that, yes, were maybe funny in the 2000s, but now are just ridiculously dumb. But, I mean, what you know, whatever. It's the era we grew up in. I'm not going to like sit here and bash it. It's just how things were.
0: It's good that we've evolved past that, but like, it is what it is in 2001. <laughs>
2: Right, exactly,
0: and then just some of
2: the, the tropes of this movie that it follows, like that the same way every comedy follows it. There's there's the bombshell blonde in it who is what? Is she like Swedish or something?
0: Yeah, and there was a it's a weird thing. It's that whole actually thing was complicated. It's actually Victoria Silvstedt, and there was this era where they just kept bringing her in and putting her in movies because they did it in basketball. The Matt Parker and Trey yeah. Stone movie too and it's the same exact thing where they just bring in a Swedish model and it's like she's the object of obsession to the dumb oh, characters shit. I did not I could not place her that's yeah great call I I, I mean now I remember her perfectly
2: and the only other thing the one other big thing I had is the soundtrack man this is peak 2000 rock. Oh, yeah. like, it's incredible what, what, who was
1: who are some of the bands represented in it? I should have written it down. Lit was in there, right? They Lit had to have was been in
0: there. Yes. I feel like I heard Sugar Cult. It was just a very specific era of like pop punk radio stuff. And it really yes. took me back. I really enjoyed the needle drops in it. Like everyone that
1: really, you know, had the uh the soul patch and was rocking it seriously. <laughs> you know, the they were they patch. Yeah, they were they were well represented in this movie. Yeah, the lead character had it. Like, you know, it's it's Yeah, it works. It was great.
0: I guess that's just a thing in the snowboarding community in early 2000s. It's
1: literally something you could put into a time capsule and people are like, oh, this is a perfect representation of the uh, early to uh, mid to late 2000s.
2: One other quote, which, again, probably wouldn't fly in 2021, but it was was from Roy in the very beginning when he, he sees a hot girl and he's trying to pretend to be like this macho dude still. And he goes if I were her, I'd be getting with every dude on this mountain. It's like, it sets the tone for the whole movie. As
0: a does. Yeah. And it doesn't take itself seriously with lines like that. And that's what I really enjoy. And you know, my, my funniest bits of the entire movie are the scenes where pig pen and all the friends are playing pranks on Zach Galifianakis, who's passed out, which, they really just don't address his alcoholism at all but it's 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 potentially problematic for his character. Yeah, really. <laughs> but like, the pranks that they play on him are just epic. And my favorite one is when he's passed out and they put him in the car and start spitting it. And then <laughs> on the count of three, they just all start screaming. And he's like, I got it, I got it, I got it! And then he just takes Pigpen's head and starts smashing it off the steering wheel. I I crack up every single time. I think it's absolutely hysterical. I don't care how dumb it is at all. It, 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 it gets me every single time.
1: I feel like that scene is pretty iconic in terms of like you know from comedy films like i that's one i always remember i feel like any i feel like you could mention that to anyone they
0: know that scene anyone who's seen this movie that that's the scene for me i i think i knew about that scene before i saw the movie <laughs> it's just a great prank the one the one that's really troublesome is when they put him out in the snow with yeah. his pants down it's just like dude he's gonna get hypothermia like this is not <laughs> Yeah, but this is also this like, is really like one unsafe. of the more unrealistic
1: comedies <laughs> of all time a uh polar
0: bear comes up and it's just like really that's what we're doing exactly.
1: <laughs> you had to have been like a little bit like you gotta believe that these guys were a little bit fucked up when they wrote this movie. Or I wrote the script for this. To, I have movie. to
0: believe it was just like party time on set, too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I bet it was a really fun, like, shooting. Experience. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I really don't know. Hey, I have no idea. <laughs> Zach, any other thoughts on Out Cold? Just that they did, I think they really did
2: nail the vibe of, you know, uh, ski bums or snowboarding bums in a mountain town. Uh, it's exactly, it's exactly the way people are. So I,
1: I, I thought that was great. Yeah, Out I want to bring all that back. I want to bring all that music back. I'm so ready for
0: that. Out, Out Cold's just <laughs> it's it's a great time capsule movie to like capture this era. And you know, for me, it was just it was an important one because I was into skiing and snowboarding. You know, back then we were spending every weekend at Gore Mountain or Whiteface, and I just really identified. I listened to all that music, so it's it's just a comfort movie to go back and watch and like. You know, it, it's a relic of its time, and I I really enjoy it.
1: So I, you think people? You really do believe that this is a movie that people should have gone back and like? More people should have seen this in theaters. I I think so. I mean, I think it. When was it released? Two thousand one. Well, like what what time period did it come out in the summer? No, that no. would have been something.
0: <laughs> no, it came out in late November. They they timed it right. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's underseen, and I think anyone. You know that grew up in that era would really enjoy it. I agree. I all right, Zach, let's go to your next one. I I assume you're going with another Peter Berg masterpiece. We're in top two of t- uh, territory no, right now, right? No, I'm,
2: yeah, I'm I'm saving that one for last. Okay. Um, Fantastic. You, I really want to dig into it with you, but no this this one I don't I don't see how you could argue is not legitimately good. Um, Boiler Room is my next one. And uh, when we were putting this list together, I crossed off Boiler Room because I just assumed that it had been seen by a ton of people and was very successful and had great reviews. That's how much I actually, I really like this movie. On Metacritic, it only got a 63, and it only made $28 million, which shocked me. I don't, I don't really know how that happened. It came out in February 2000, so February is obviously a bad time to release a movie. But Boiler Room is absolutely incredible. I, I would argue like it's a legitimate A-plus movie. And uh, yeah, it's very underrated, I guess, because it seems like not a lot of people really know this one.
0: Yeah. I mean, Boiler Room was, and I don't know if this says more about Boiler Room or if it says less about the other movies that you included, but Boiler Room was by far my favorite one on your list. and. You know, there, there's one thing that I don't particularly enjoy about it, and we can get to that a little bit later. But the soundtrack to this movie is absolutely incredible. Yeah the the needle drops with like Pharomanch doing Simon Says over the over yeah. the uh, end credits, like mm-hmm. just awesome stuff. And I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack. Vin Diesel is actually acting in this movie. Dude, this is the one thing that upset me this is the one thing that upset me the most because obviously
1: I've been going through the Fast and Furious franchise, and it upsets me to my core that we're not getting these types of performances out of him in Fast and the Furious a, a fucking a vehicle for Vin Diesel, all of which those movies are. And in this movie, I think he's fucking killing it.
0: He's so good. I completely agree with you. I I disagree that Dom Toretto is bad. Dom Toretto is a legend. But <laughs> <laughs> Vin Diesel in this movie is doing actual acting. I I think I think about the scene that he does, where him and Giovanni Rabisi's character are sitting in the car together before they go out, and that that scene is really really good. Mm. And Rabisi's yeah. Ribisi's awesome, but like Vin Diesel's carrying that scene. And I think it's awesome. I I I couldn't believe it when I was watching it because I'm so used to just like meathead Vin Diesel doing action stuff, and he's really good at that. But like this is like some real well, it doesn't nuance do acting that much talent to do the meathead
1: physical, action star stuff. Physical Physically, acting.
0: Wait, do you really think he's?
1: Anyway, sorry, that's getting off topic.
0: Physical acting is underrated, it, it, and he's really good at it. But yeah, Zach. <sighs> Talk to, us, talk to us more about Boiler Room. What do you love about it?
2: So really quickly, because this is actually interesting. I never looked it up before. Vin Diesel clearly made a conscious decision after, right after this movie to stop making serious movies. So leading up to it, he was Carpazo in Saving Private Ryan. Mm. Then he was the voice of Iron Giant in Iron Giant, which actually like gets a ton of critical acclaim for an, for an animated movie.
1: Which is basically then what he's, he's become was- now in his Fast and the Furious and every other movie. A robot. (laughs) Just a robot. He's he's literally someone that he's got a button on his back and you press it and he just speaks.
2: Then there's Boiler Room, which obviously we just said didn't make much much money. And then after that, it's just action, 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 action. So I wonder if this movie failing the way it did, you know, failing, I guess, in the box office, convinced him to go a different route with his career. Because then it's, it's nothing but brawny action Vin Diesel saves the day. Anyway, other things I love about Boiler Room. So. This movie, uh, this movie is peak representation for the douchebag finance guy that we all know and love. Um, it do, is. Do we love them? <laughs> do we? Do, do,
1: the fuck are you talking about, it's, Zach? Do you know us? <laughs> not,
2: I mean, not really. No, of course not really, but, uh, kind of.
1: So. I did movie, love Wolf of Wall Street, so, like, this is kind of along the same lines.
2: Well, so, in the same vein, this movie has one of the scenes that I can tell you for a fact, because. I worked in the industry, Mm. every finance dickhead will watch the sales scene with Ben Affleck in this movie where he talks about how rich he is and berates these new incoming financial advisors. It it is incredible. I I think it's only like a minute and a half long or two minutes maybe. Ben Affleck is throwing a heater in this one, like 105 mile fastball the entire time. It's incredible.
1: I, I don't disagree, um, but I, part of it, though, I kind of feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, they're trying to match the level of Alec Baldwin in Glengarry Ross, and it's which is referenced, sure. obviously, uh, multiple times throughout this movie. But like the ABC always be closing. I feel like he was trying to make that his scene. It's hard so, because then you match it up to that one, but I do think it is very good.
2: Well, that's actually another—thanks uh, for bringing that up. That's another thing I do love about this movie, talking about the finance douchebag. It literally shows you what all us finance douchebags do, sitting in a room with no one around, watching an older shitty movie about selling, and quoting the line thinking it makes you cool to quote the line in front of your guy friends while you eat pizza and drink beer on a Friday night because you've got
1: nothing better to do. Zach, you literally just made my day because I watched that scene just going, do they do this? This is the thing they do. This is adorable. Is this what they do? Because like I literally – I so I only – I worked in sales for, for beer, obviously not doing like stock, you know, trading or whatever. I, I'm sorry. I don't know in terms of what sort of part of the industry that you work in, but – I I would sell beer, and literally they brought up Glengarry Ross, like ABC always be closing, and I was just like, oh no, like everyone's just like quoting it, like I, it, but like I didn't know it. that was my first real introduction to it, and now to know that like this is this this is an accurate portrayal, it it warms my heart, Zach.
2: So yeah, yeah. So it so there's that, which is an incredible scene. I I have a lot of scenes I really love in this one. They they do a phenomenal job of. Uh, showing how disrespected a financial firm and guys who work for it on Long Island are compared to the guys who work in Manhattan, so I thought that was great. Um, you know, the scene in the bar where the guys from like Bank of America or whatever it is are making fun of them, calling the bridge and calling them the bridge and tunnel crowd, is incredible. Because I, I mean, just the the specifics of it, where like they even make fun of their cheesy, over the top suits, is great. There is very much a rivalry between those types of people in the uh, financial industry. And there is this thing where like the more sophisticated guys on Wall Street are supposed to only wear like a blue suit or, you know, a very, a very um, traditional style suit. Whereas the guys who are are maybe considered lower class financial advisors might wear a black suit with a black tie and black shirt like Vin Diesel.
0: (laughs) No, and I mean, I I do really enjoy all those scenes. The the scene that you mentioned, where they're all sitting around watching Wall Street together, <laughs> it, it it's really good stuff. But the the only problem I have with it is I feel like it doesn't have enough teeth. Mm. You know, Wolf of Walls. When, when I think about like this style of movie, the the kind of satire analysis of this culture of like wall street douchebags as we've called it you know wolf of wall street has some teeth on it like it is biting in its satire when i think about american psycho american psycho has some real teeth on it oh. both, both literally and literally. figuratively yeah it's weird and you know i just don't think this is biting enough in its commentary because i feel like some of those scenes where like they're sitting around you know watching wall street you know, it's not always clear in the movie to me whether, like, this is meant to be fun or are you making fun of it? It's just a bit muddled in terms of its message. And I want it to be a, just a little bit more, I, I just want it to have a, a bit more teeth. Cause when you think about the ending, it's like, what? He got off. Yeah. A couple people went to jail. That's so, it. Like, I, I, I don't know. And Zach, I was curious. I mean, that, and kinda, I
2: definitely, I, de- I was going to say, I definitely see your point. Uh, you just to play devil's advocate that it's not trying to accomplish that it's more trying to show how someone from outside the industry could could easily be naive enough to get himself wrapped up in this but not just naive also how how drawn into this world you can get because of the lore of excess wealth and how powerful it makes you feel where Giovanni Ribisi is fundamentally a good guy he's a good person But that that lore of extreme wealth uh, reels him in. He does things that go against his principles, and then he gets in a lot of trouble for it. So I think that's what it's trying to show more than satire of the industry. It's trying to show how someone who is a good person could could reject their own moral compass for the lore of a ton of money.
1: So what I'm curious, though— because just there was something that Corey mentioned in this, and I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are about it. Just hearing you having spoke about it sort of early on, like obviously it 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 touches on various aspects of the industry accurately, is kind of what you're saying. But what I wonder is, does this does this movie almost kind of, I don't know, intentionally or unintentionally sort of celebrate, uh, you know, some of those aspects of, uh, you know, some of maybe those characteristics of the industry? You know, because I, I just like you mentioned, like how you're like almost like kind of quoting like the Ben Affleck line or something like that or something that you remember, you know, very vividly. I mean, do, I guess what are your thoughts in terms of whether it's sort of celebrating all of that and that, you know, how it's portrayed versus maybe, you know, yeah probably critiquing it so that- in ways that it should.
2: That's a great question because I think I can, my answer would be that's how all of these movies are and they don't mean to be, but I don't know what it says about us as a society, but that's what ends up happening. So like the most famous example of that is Oliver Stone multiple times has said he hates the fact that Wall Street actually encouraged a ton more, a, a, a way more college graduates to go to Wall Street because they misinterpreted his message and mm-hmm. thought greed is good. Mm-hmm. Fuck yeah, let me go make it money. And I would argue all of these movies do that, even though they don't mean to. Boiler room, sure, absolutely. Let me let me watch all these guys partying, doing drugs, and be, becoming millionaires overnight. Hell yeah, let's go do it. Same th- thing with Wolf of Wall Street. Um, I think you. I, I think you could pick any of these movies and argue that the message got muddled because. Ultimately, when you show that fun side of the lifestyle, no one people stop caring about caring about the end of the movie where the guy goes to jail. Yeah, like they the just overall say, message. Oh, okay. A ton of money.
0: I I kind of disagree. I mean, I don't think The Wolf of Wall Street celebrates it at all. I think you know people. I don't think that I I could see definitely how certain people would pick out things like Jordan Belfort's yacht and be like, yeah, fuck yeah. And ignore, you know, the complete fucking shit show that his life has become. And, you know, I I don't think American psycho celebrates it at all because this dude's a fucking vile serial killer. But I I do agree how some people probably would just pick out what they want and, Uh, be like, yeah, that's what I want. I want the business card. I I want the cocaine. I want the orgy on the plane. (laughs) I don't want any of those things. But I guess I don't know.
1: So the one thing I'm curious about too is, so we're talking about obviously these. You have these. You guys have these criteria for underappreciated films. And I know that we mentioned this in terms of some movies going on. You know, they didn't do well at the box office, but they went on to be a cult favorite. Um, I feel like this. you know obviously tell me if you disagree this became one of those i feel like i I, like i this this movie i'd always heard about and referenced, and i feel like it did become a cult like cult favorite
2: you're probably you're probably right and i think that that was part of the challenge of making these these lists for Corey and and me um boiler room was the actually the toughest one for me to decide to include because i think you're right like Boiler Room, I do think, is legitimately good, and a lot of people now do know it and, and like it a lot. But that was, yeah, w- when we created this list, that was the give and take. Like, right. do I pick a movie I don't necessarily like, like Johnny English, and argue why that's underrated, versus Boiler Room, which I knew you guys were going to like. But um, ultimately, I thought it was worth discussing because it clearly didn't make much money.
1: Right, no. Do you have a Rabisi too, I think, who also needs to be mentioned? It's fucking yeah. phenomenal in it.
2: Dude. Yeah, we don't. I, I didn't talk about him enough, but he. I mean, in this movie is incredible. Just in general, he's a, an awesome actor. I like him a lot. He. There's something about him that's under the surface, really creepy. But at the same Very, time, yeah, I really enjoy watching him act. So I don't. I don't know what it is he's doing, but it works for me.
0: I, I completely agree. I love him in Gone in sixty Seconds, the Nicolas Cage version. You know if that didn't yeah. if that didn't make so much money i would have included that because i think <laughs> Gone in 60 seconds is really good. I feel like you don't hear about it anymore. No, and i think it's really good and what he's doing as, you know, Kip Reigns, is he Kip and Nicolas Cage's Memphis, i think that's great. Um, you know, as Kip Reigns, you're absolutely right. He has that seedy kind of perfect person as like the the naive guy who gets wrapped into a life of crime, but ultimately has a heart of gold. And then later in his career, he completely flips it. And in a movie like contraband with Mark Wahlberg, he is just playing, yeah. he is just playing the criminal, like at 15, just the, the <laughs> grease back hair, the goatee, the tattoos, like all of it. I, I, I love Giovanni Ribisi. I'm, I'm a huge fan. I feel like oh, he, he turned
2: 11 in that movie.
0: I, I love it. I, I love it so much. I think Contraband is really, really fun.
1: I mean, well, Is there anything else that you actually wanted to uh, to remark about in regards to Boiler Room?
2: Just the cast overall. I mean, to run through it. Scott Kahn, awesome. Dude, Ron Riskin. I'm, as- I'm
1: glad you mentioned Scott Kahn. I, fu- I fucking love that dude. There, for some reason, that guy holds a special place in my heart, especially from like Ocean's 11 and all that. Oh, I fucking love him.
0: Oh, dude, Turk
1: Turk Malloy and his brother
0: in the Oceans movies, like, their banter is probably my favorite part about those movies. I love them so much. He's so good. You could make an argument that they're
2: the best part of those movies. I mean, it would be a stretch, but yes, they are incredible in those. Ron Rifkin as uh, Giovanni Ribisi's dad, like the hard-ass dad who's a uh, judge, I think, awesome. Jamie Kennedy actually subdued in this movie. Not being Jamie Kennedy, he's pretty solid. He has some moments where you're like, "Oh, that's fucking Jamie Kennedy doing his thing," but it, he's he's pretty good.
1: Wait, um, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry, Jamie Kennedy's in this movie. I had no fucking
0: idea. Yeah, dude. Who does he play? He's one of the he's one of the Long Island broker guys that's like friends with Giovanni. Yeah, that, My that, word. So he, like so it shows
2: that he's subdued in it because you didn't immediately
0: notice. No, I didn't uh, notice at all. Well, okay. <laughs> I love Jamie Kennedy in this area or in this era when he's doing like Scream, and then he shows up in Enemy of the State as one of those guys, and Scott Con's in that too. Like this era for yeah. those dudes, I I I really love it. It's it's great stuff.
2: Such a, yeah, such a weird career he had. Ben Affleck, we already talked about. Uh, who else is in here? I mean, the whole cast is just incredible. Uh, they do, they did a great job of picking out the brokers and everybody else. So, yeah, shout out to the cast of this movie. It's great.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Um, so I'm going to go to my next movie, and it is another one that is in the realm of underappreciated comedy, one that I feel like is in that tier below the – Anchorman's and the apatow comedies, and that is a movie called Saving Silverman. And when I think about Saving Silverman, it is another one that is incredibly dumb. It is uh, another one that is just not <laughs> nothing in this movie is going to fly these days. But it's another time capsule to the early 2000s. And you know, when I when I think about a comedy, I think about you know. How often do you reference that comedy in your life? That means it has staying power. And for me, this has two or three things that are still in my life every single day. Among our group of friends, every single time we eat nachos, somebody does the line, if they're all stuck together, then that's one nacho.
1: I actually almost like kind of shudder every single time we have nachos. And I'm like, this fucking line's gonna come out. Someone's gonna fucking say it. And it's gonna be John Friend.
0: And, and and, someone, or Corey. It's someone, gonna be one or you two. Someone always says it and it's always funny. And the other one is we still always scream, coming to yeah, like fucking Jack Black does. And like, honestly, m- my wife and I will just be walking down the street. And she just turns to me and she's like, can you yell that? What? Because she just finds it hysterical. And I I don't know why, but like that, that staying power of those things in this movie. I I just think that deserves more credit. I, I, I love it so much.
2: I come Yeha is so ubiquitous to me. That I didn't even realize it came from this movie. And that is impressive. The fact that this movie really popularized it because I've used it my entire life too and i didn't know i didn't really know why i used it but that's why
1: um i didn't even know that neil diamond used it (laughs) i didn't think he did and the funniest part is then like when they do sing uh what what, what's the song at the end where they all come out on stage anyway when they do perform that you literally hear neil diamond saying coming to Yeha" like at the end just like really really giving it in and i'm just like is it was it always like that? Or is it because they literally made a film where this was like almost a central part to it? Uh he was like, I gotta play it up.
0: Listen, and I think that's a really underrated part of this movie is that they just centered a movie around Neil Diamond fandom. And Neil Diamond participated. And Neil Diamond participated, and Neil Diamond is a fucking gem. I love Neil Diamond. He's so like fantastic. It lends an incredible soundtrack to the movie just automatically by having him involved. Yeah. And uh, it, it's just great. I, I love Neil Diamond. Give me more movies about Neil Diamond. <laughs> this is actually the movie I think that made me appreciate Neil Diamond. I was like, you know what?
1: He's got jams. Uh, he's got jams. <laughs> he's got the way to move me.
2: This um, this movie for me, I said, I said it before without cold how like these movies represent an era of Comedy Central. I'm not kidding when I say when I think of Comedy Central in the 2000s, I think of this movie and Comedy Central being tied together before I even think think of South Park in Comedy Central or Chappelle Show in Comedy Central because this movie was on so fucking often on that channel I like, it is burned into my brain. I knew if I was uh, faking sick, staying home from school at 1pm no matter what, or sometime during the afternoon, Saving Silverman would be on while I, you know, pretend to be sick because I want to get out of a tent So that's what this movie represents me
1: no, I actually, I, I like, I mean, I agree with you because that's, this one, when I saw it on a list, I was like, this is burned in, like, I I feel like that's for, like, a lot of people our age that we knew. I, that's why when I saw it on your list, I was a little surprised. I'm like, this was underappreciated? I mean, I, you, I'm so surprised.
0: When you look at the Metacritic score, it's in the 20s, and I understand that Fuck because- Fuck I understand why critics probably didn't like this movie, but- you know, I, I was surprised that more people didn't see it, like when it came out. I, I feel like it became a little bit more popular later.
1: I think this kind of falls into that cult favorite, yeah. realm.
0: But Saving Silverman, to me, I mean, this is like the world's introduction to Jack Black as like a dynamite comedic actor. Because before this, he was just doing bit roles in like action movies as the comedy comic relief. He was like in The Jackal. He was also in Enemy of the State. But then he does Stephen Silverman, and then after that, he does School of Rock, and then he's like the biggest comedic star in the world. And in this movie, Jack Black is phenomenal. He has so many lines, and it's just like, remember when I was lighting farts on fire with a Bunsen burner? I singed my ball sack? Oh, that really sucked. (laughs) And then he does the thing about the tuxedo and the paint ran, (laughs) and the line where he's like, dude, you've been pitching loads on the lawn? I play croquet out there. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> every every single thing that jack black does in this movie you know when he's miming eating a cheeseburger when they're trying to do this kidnapping like everything jack black does dude the
1: scene where like hysterical. where like he's running from amanda peet's character and he hides behind the the curtain she runs out notices behind, he's behind the curtain goes out and she, he pulls it back and he just goes just a, ah! and then just like <laughs> runs away like dude that is just I, I don't know yeah everything that he does in this movie is hilarious I mean this is this was a great one for Jason Bateman too like in terms of Jason Biggs or Jason Biggs I don't know how I say that Um but for Jason Biggs like after um you know this this is post-American pie right
0: post the first American pie yeah
1: post the first American pie like I don't know. I thought
0: this is kind of a different role for him, just like a little bit. A little bit. I love Steve Zahn too. I think Steve Zahn is doing a lot of great things. And Steve Zahn had a great year this year because he also released Joyride, which is a really good uh, horror movie. I love Joyride.
2: This movie, uh and I'm I don't want you to misconstrue this because I'm saying it with love. This movie represents a class of movie for me where I understand it's a it's a terrible movie, but I don't care, and I love it anyway. It like this is in the same class as Grandma's Boy, um, the same class as Strange Wilderness, which I love. Um, and actually, oddly enough, Steve Don tends to be in a lot of these movies that are terrible that I love. The
0: the last thing, the last person I just want to bring up is R. Lee Ermy, who plays the coach, the MVP of this film. <laughs> yeah, and he he just he represents like. A really important part of like my movie watching career early on because he was in full metal jacket as the drill sergeant, one of my favorites. He's the police chief in seven, another one of my favorites. And then he shows up as the coach in this. And I'm just like, I I love this guy. I think he's the best actor ever. Of course, he isn't, but no. at playing that guy who like yells stuff, he's
1: perfect. Yeah, but like, what's amazing is like the comedy that he produces in this film. The other stuff, it's funny because like, oh shit, he just said that. But like, he's so good. All right, this is a problematic quote, clearly. But one of the funniest ones that even my wife laughed at when we were watching. He's like, yeah, snuff the bitch. All right. Like, it's a, it's, like it's just such a jarring just such a jarring thing to say killer (laughs) yeah
2: killer he
1: throughout his career
2: at all it was either serious hard ass or funny hard ass and it worked perfectly one thing I learned about him recently I didn't realize that prior to Full Metal Jacket he really was that guy in the army yeah Yeah, he was was a drill sergeant
1: he's not fucking (laughs) around dude I mean You you saying, like, I admit that this is a bad movie. I don't know that I have yet. I think I'm in denial. Never once have I ever recognized this movie as a bad film. And I'm not saying that you guys are wrong. I think I'm just going to stay ignorant
0: over here. No, I mean, (laughs) listen, I love it to death. But, like, (laughs) it definitely doesn't have much emotional weight to it the way that, like, you know, 40 Year Old Virgin has some things to say about, like, friendship and about you know, repress sexuality because of, you know, negative past experiences, like it does some things. And it, it, it has something to say about like, you know, stunted manhood when, you know, you're, you're kind of stuck in this rut early in your 20s and Knocked Up does the same thing. You know, this doesn't have anything to say. It's really fucking stupid, but it's just so funny. And like, you know, that, that's what a comedy should do. And the, the only negative thing I have to say about Saving Silverman is this movie really does fall off a cliff in like the last 20 minutes when they're trying to resolve <laughs> all the stuff with yeah. Amanda Detmer's character and Amanda Pete's character. And it's just like I get th- – this is a thing that happens in comedies like all the time where they have to resolve the storyline. Like we just threw a
1: bunch of crazy shit at you. I don't know how we're going to all
0: tie this up. Exactly. Like we've created this really st- – Stupid plotline, but we have to tie it up somehow. So then in the last 20 minutes, things just fall off a cliff and it's not very good. But like everything that happens before that is absolutely hysterical and I love it. I think the problem
1: for me is, is that I'm totally into it and I don't even recognize that last 20 minutes as being a bunch of a mess. I mean, dude, the final scene where Amanda Pete just like sees Steve Zahn. And he just starts singing hello. And she's just like walking over like, oh, she's going to kiss Like first time I saw her, like, oh, she's going to kiss him. Nope, picks up the chair and Stone Cold Steve Austin's that bitch like right away. Um, that's just, I, that's just, I, I burst out laughing every time I see that. I mean, I know you know she's going to hit him with a chair, but for a moment.
2: What What happened to Amanda Pete? She, this movie, watching this movie again reminded me what a crush I had on her when I was 14, 15 years old. I feel like she... She was huge in the 2000s or maybe late 90s, 2000s, and then fell off the face of the earth.
1: I mean, I wondered the same thing about Nat- Natalie and Brulia. Well,
0: the, it, it's just a thing. You know, the same way that movies often treat female characters like shit, they also treat <laughs> actresses like shit, where basically they're, you know, a huge thing for like their 20s and, you know, early to mid 30s. And then it's just like, okay, next one. And it's, it's really unfortunate because, you know, Amanda Peet's great. She's a, she's a really great comedic actress, and I really, really enjoy her. And it's unfortunate that, you know, Hollywood just casts these people aside constantly. It, it, I feel like it happens all the time to these women, and it's it sucks.
2: She's like the Terminator at points in the
0: movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's great. And she's, like, playing that yeah. Terminator effect to, like, great comedic value, and I, I love it. All right, Zach. Let's go to your number one, and I think this is probably your most underappreciated. I know my number one. I saved it for my most underappreciated. So, all right, hit us with your last one.
2: <laughs> the rundown is my last one, and I have things to say about the rundown. Um, I know, Corey. I know you didn't like it. What? But that's okay. I forgive you for your foolishness. What? And naivety.
0: You didn't like this movie? I did not. Can I? Oh, my word. Can I start with what I did like? The Rock? Well, here's the thing. I like how much they committed to trying to make The Rock the next big action star. Because in the first scene, you get an Arnold Schwarzenegger cameo. So it's like kind of a passing of the torch of Arnold Schwarzenegger to The Rock. And Mm -hmm. I like that they committed that hard to it. And then in the first scene... You get The Rock doing a rock bottom to somebody. So they're like really trying to build the brand. But at the same time, I, I think that it's not the best thing that The Rock has done. And I think that's representative in the fact that it didn't happen for The Rock until basically he was in Fast Five. And now he's the biggest star in the world. I just don't think he was quite ready to carry a movie like this. I mean, on paper it should have worked. Sean William Scott, The Rock, Rosario Dawson, Christopher Walken in an action adventure comedy. Like, absolutely sign me up. But I eh, I don't know. I, I didn't love it.
1: So number one, it worked. <laughs> it uh, I you know also too in fast five. He rock bottoms people in that too. So that's just that's just he's always gonna be doing that. It's an effective move. You did it to me at a wedding. Uh yeah, it's uh it's perfect. Um, no, I I this is a fucking fantastic pick. Like when I saw this as as on top there, I was like, yes, I'm immediately going to watch this movie. I've missed this movie. I haven't seen it in a while. Sean William Scott, I think, is a perfect pair for this. I think The Rock is, you know, I think he did a couple movies before this that didn't come out very well. And I think he fucking killed it. And this is where I feel like this is where he kind of got his start in terms of like coming into his own into what he was going to be in this. But, Zach, I mean, what about this movie, man? I mean. You guys have have said exactly what I wanted to say about The Rock and why
2: I picked this movie. This When Corey came up with this idea for this podcast. The Rundown was the first movie I thought of, and I didn't even have to look anything up about it. I knew it was going to be on my list. Uh, the, the biggest reason for it is because this is, in my mind, the beginning of The Rock's career in Hollywood, where you can see the seeds being planted for what The Rock is ultimately going to become in 2021. He he becomes the action star who with a you know, the action star badass who will beat bad guys up and kill bad guys. Of course he has a heart of gold. Of course his moral compass in every movie is damn near perfect. It's just it's just great because you see like you watch this movie and you can just tell, oh, I know what The Rock is gonna do the rest of his life. He's gonna become a massive action star. Uh yeah, this so is I, where you knew I, he
1: had uh, the potential. This is where you're like, okay, yeah, he's gonna fucking kill it
0: and i, I completely agree like, i think that in this movie the potential was very clear <laughs> i don't think it was fulfilled potential and that that's and I, you know keep going but that's that's all i want to say going. i just i i see the potential and i love it i just don't think it was quite there yet so now so watching
2: this now knowing what the rock has become i loved the opening scene because <laughs> it starts off in a club the rock uh, the rock notices all of these enormous badasses who are even like way bigger than he is he's sizing them up and it's like this lineman on usc this lineman from georgia they all have like six inches on him and 50 pounds and you just knowing the rock especially now you go oh man rock's gonna fuck up some big guys
1: contractually he always will yes
2: (laughs) exactly like that fight the rock should be killed he he should like those guys would kill him but, of course, he, that's not going to happen because he's the rock. So I absolutely love that. And I love underrated part of that scene. Going back and looking at the truly awful style we all had in 2003. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's
2: accurate. Got all like tangles and the, like, overly baggy button-downs. Oh, it's just It made me cringe, and yet I also loved it. So, so aside from The Rock, obviously uh, we brought up uh, Sean William Scott, who I also love because I love the American Pie movies, and could do I could do a whole podcast about my love for American Pie. Stifler in this movie is great. He's a toned down version of Stifler, and that's pretty much the only character Sean William Scott typically plays is a toned down version of Stifler. But it works so well, like his his comedic timing. His um, his physical comedy is great. The way he constantly just gets beat like beat up by the Rock throughout the movie is it makes me laugh every time. I thought I thought he was incredible. I actually, as much as I love this movie, totally forgot a young Rosario Dawson was in it.
1: Yeah, I Completely. like. It took me a minute to like recognize her. I was like, oh shit, not the best
2: at work, but still, really, really enjoyed her. Yeah. Dude, um, William i dude, sean
1: williams scott and his whole bit just time to talk about him on the moment with the thunder lightning the leg thing
0: yeah
1: i don't know that's just to me that's just so fucking funny it's so goofy it's so dumb but it's so funny to me
0: there were just parts where i feel like he was underutilized because of like crappy writing and because basically, we need
1: to focus on the rock,
0: basically when they're going back and forth and they're just like calling each other an asshole back and forth, and I'm just like, you couldn't come up with anything better than that exchange. Like Sean William Scott can throw heaters, let him cook a little bit. Instead, you give him this dry material. Eh, I was I was disappointed with that.
2: There are some jokes that definitely don't land. I will give you that. It's not a it's not a perfect movie, but that's hey, that's why it's on my underrated list. Christopher Walken. As he always is, is an A plus in this movie. He's so up, top and he, you can tell he knows he's in a dumb movie. Oh yeah! So he dials. He's, he's just so good. I don't even know what to, like how to describe it, other than that, it's peak Christopher
1: Walken. It's unhinged Christopher Walken. He just is like I I got no barriers right now. I'm just gonna do whatever,
0: dude. This era it's- of comedic Christopher Walken doing. Like his bit as the senator and wedding crashers, him being the janitor and witness protection, and Joe Dirt. Like this era of comedic Christopher Walken is my favorite. It all started I,
1: with Fat Boy Slim. I,
0: I love it so much, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken is my favorite part about this movie. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I would. Th- my best way to describe it is
2: his character Hatcher is if you asked Christopher Walken to spoof Christopher Walken, this is what you would get. <laughs> So he's he's incredible, Uh, underrated underrated actor, an incredible bat guy because his voice is so um, identifiable. Ewan Bremmer, the Scottish guy Mm -hmm. i I always love when he pops up in a movie. It's mostly because of his voice uh, and a Scottish accent, but he actually also has really good comedic timing and his speech during the final the climax, the final action scene is. it's one of those moments where you're like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But I
0: can't look. (laughs) away. It's exactly like Stumpy in out cold. Just what is this guy talking? What is going on?
2: Like some, some like dramatic biblical speech about the goings on while the rock refuses to use a gun, but then finally decides to shoot people because he needs to save Stifler. It's just incredible. (laughs) <laughs> you know? the uh the other two actors i would have i definitely want to shout out uncle rico john Grease, who like he just got he just served to be a henchman who gets his ass kicked repeatedly but he's he's very good in this movie makes me laugh and then my boy my guy ernie reyes jr who plays like the um the native rebel i at first i couldn't figure out where i recognized him from and i was wondering like why do i why do I definitely know this random Brazilian
0: rebel? You know what he's from? Surf Ninjas. He's, yes. And Kino from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Surf Ninjas is like my favorite movie from my childhood. Combined karate I, and surfing and I'm fucking in. Surf Ninjas is legendary. I got to rewatch that.
2: Surf, Surf Ninjas doesn't get enough respect for, for incredible marketing the way E.T. does with Reese's Pieces. After Surf Ninjas, there was nothing I wanted more in life than a game gear, a Sega game gear.
1: <laughs> Dude, I almost feel like there's a podcast in like child kung fu movies, because I feel like there was a lot.
0: There was so many, but Surf Ninjas, I, I, I kind of went down this rabbit hole recently, and I rewatched Surf Ninjas. Surf Ninjas holds up. Three Ninjas does not. It doesn't. No, I, oh, I love that movie as a I, kid. I tried rewatching it, and I was like, "Oh man, this is not good." I, I, I don't like that. I went back to this. Oh god. god.
2: You tell me, Rocky loves Emily. Doesn't hold up.
0: <laughs> it doesn't hold up for me. Although the the three the three like crooks with the pizza bit that still <laughs> that still slaps. That still <laughs> slaps. Correct me
2: correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Three Ninjas Three had Hulk Hogan in it. I think it was think two. It was accurate. like High
0: Noon at Mega Mountain was the subtitle. <laughs> it's it's really something. I think it was the second one, maybe it was the third one. I don't know.
2: My last thought on this, or last two thoughts, again, you I mean, as you alluded to, Corey, this is a Peter Berg movie the guy's phenomenal he just knows how to he knows how to make them the the score and soundtrack to this god this is
1: peterberg this makes sense (laughs) and
2: then the uh the the things that wouldn't fly in 2021 just the whole portrayal of the rebels being like these tiny little men who like fly around on vines and kick the rock is so ridiculous i i feel like there would be accusations of if this were made in 2021
0: Yeah it's definitely not a very Flattering portrayal <laughs> And uh, I mean But Ernie Reyes Jr. is a freaking badass so give me him all day
2: That's all I had on this movie It just again takes me back to a great place The ending is pretty ridiculous um, Oh yeah Put his dad to sleep using the drug And uh, that, that part Was silly but overall this movie is A lot of fun and I just I had to pick it because, to me, it represents the first movie where you could see, "Oh, The Rock is going to become a
1: megastar." Dude, it was a great excuse for me. To be like, I can watch the rundown again. So, I very much appreciated this being on your list because I fucking love this movie.
0: Nah, and I think I think it also establishes The Rock's great comedic timing too, which I think is an underrated part. Because, like, Central Intelligence with Kevin Hart was kind of good. And like the way that they played off each other and the chemistry they had comedically, like really dynamite stuff. I I think Central Intelligence is kind of underrated. I like I like that movie quite a bit.
2: That's a fundamental part uh, or part of so many rock movies where it's the rock, the uh, tough guy, straight man, and then the wisecracking goofball comedian as his partner.
1: Hobbs and Shell. Yeah.
2: Yes, another great one. It's another
1: one. That's. that's, that's, that's- It's what that whole movie is built on. That's the best part of that movie is just them
0: talking to each other. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The Rock has great chemistry with like these other leading men. And, you know, I, I respect what it did for The Rock. I still don't love it, but everything that you're saying about how this kind of established who The Rock is, is absolutely 100% correct. And I love The Rock. All right. So I will go to my last pick. Uh, Yeah, I'm very excited about this one. My number one most underappreciated movie. This is a movie that I think everyone should love. I don't understand why everyone doesn't love it, and that is Smoke and Aces. And I think the reason that I love it so much is it. it, It's kind of similar to why I love In Bruges so much, minus the whole existential crisis bit. But it's just so funny and so action packed, and it's just relentless in terms of its style and its pace. And you know, this movie is really two different movies to me and it kind of splits down the middle. The first part is the kinetic opening where you're cutting to all these different characters because there's like 15 players in this whole plot line and you keep cutting to all the different ones to introduce kind of what they're about and who they are. And, you know, one of the things that I love about it is the way that they use musical cues to kind of help set them up. So one that I always think of is when they introduce Sharice um, and in Georgia, the the female assassin duo in the diner, and they're playing Spodeode Dopalicious by Outcast. Like, just as far as a needle drop, I'm just... I'm, I'm in every single time. I love that song so much. And then you get introduced to the tremors and it's um, doing ace of spades by motorhead and all those little musical cues as you're jumping around to all these different characters. I think it's really, really good and really, really funny and also just does a good job of kind of establishing all who all the players are. You like, you understand after that introduction, okay, these are all the guys, this is what they're doing. And it, I love it, the it,
1: montage of, like, everything that they, like, what is the bit of their backstory, especially the Tremor brothers.
0: Yeah. No, it's great. And, like, you know, with, with Ben Affleck kind of narrating it, like, these guys will go megaton in the drop of a hat. <laughs> like, Dude, just, his, his
1: accent <laughs> in this is just full on.
0: I love it so much. And, you know, in, the, in lesser hands – this could just be a muddled disaster, and I don't think it is at all. I think it does a good job of keeping track of all the things. Zach, what are your thoughts? Oh,
2: so many. I don't know. I'm trying to decide which direction to go in. Um, the first, I guess, the most, the biggest one to me is this is a movie where I realized or decided I really, really like Ryan Reynolds as a serious. Not, it's kind of weird to say serious for this movie, but like as an action star, I like Ryan Reynolds a lot. Because prior to this, I really only knew you know, and anyone really only knew him as Van Wilder or um, what's his name from Just Friends. So this movie was the first time I was like, two guys in pizza. Don't forget
1: two guys in a pizza or two guys a girl in a pizza place. I'm sorry, two guys a girl in a pizza place. But then it was two guys in a. Um,
2: You're no, you're absolutely right. And so he was known as a comedian in my mind, and then in this movie, this is the first time I thought, like, damn, he actually can kind of act, and he's a pretty good action star. So I like him a lot. And he has since become, I mean, for me, one of my favorite actors, just because I enjoy everything he's in. Do the
1: interplay this, between him and uh, Ray, Ray Ray Liotta is so good. Yes,
2: I agree.
0: Right, and it's all this those little movie, bits, like when when Ryan Reynolds and Carruthers are in the car together and yeah. just talking about, like, no, I don't use, I don't, I don't use antiperspirant deodorant. It gives you Alzheimer's, and like yeah. all those little things. It's just so efficient in establishing the relationship between the characters just with the dialogue, and that's that's what I love and respect about it, and like why I think it needs to be more respected as a movie, because of how efficient it is with dialogue and establishing relationships between characters, because it just does it so well. Sorry, Zach, go, go
2: ahead. No, uh, that made me think of something that I hadn't thought of, though. This movie, for Ryan Reynolds, is very similar to what I was arguing the rundown is for The Rock. This is that first time where you can see, like, oh, this guy... Can- Is going to become a big action comedy type star. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say is this movie just fits a niche—a niche for me that I'm always going to love. Where you take—it's hard to describe—but you have all of these different characters uh, defined by extremely unique, bizarre characteristics, and you put them together and make them interact with each other. That is something I love. Like you have what are the the Tremor Brothers? Like these neo-Nazi psychopaths. Who have to deal with the, uh, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go as far as to say like black exploitation, but that kind of style, uh, female assassins. And then you have, you have the, who is the like really creepy assassin dude who
1: works on his own? Like everybody's just. So- oh
0: yeah. That's- so there's two, there's Laszlo Slut, which is played by, uh, Tommy Flanagan. Who's known from Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. And then there's, uh, Ella Strago, the plague. The guy who chews off his fingertips to so he can't be identified. Taking taking a little bit from John Doe and Seven. A little bit.
2: There's almost a video game quality to it because you're taking characters who are completely different from each other, have completely different styles and motivation and um, and looks even. Like they none of these people look like each
1: other. You mash them together and you get, you see what happens. That's something that I will always love. It was almost like, they were almost like just cartoonish versions of people. It was fucking hilarious. It was, it's just such a fun movie.
0: Yeah, and that that's what I was saying about like it being two different movies. So you get the introductions to all these characters and then you get when they all converge on this nomad hotel in Lake Lake Tahoe. And that climactic action sequence that just goes on and on and on. And there's so ma- so many little memorable bits from it. Like I think often about um when the Tremor brother Common shoots him and then he falls on his chainsaw. Mm -hmm. And that's just like, holy shit. I've never seen that before. And then there's the scene where Sharice is shooting like the 50 cal gun into the hotel. And Ryan Reynolds is just so exasperated Mm -hmm. that he just throws his gun. And like the little moments like that make what would otherwise just be like an absolutely exhausting action sequence, like really memorable because you get these little tidbits um, throughout, really that's good my, emotional right.
1: moments. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Like the 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 moment with Carruthers and Ryan Reynolds in the in the in the elevator is yeah. like actually kind of affecting. Where he's like, "How bad is it?" And he's like, "Mortal." And I think in lesser lesser hands, that would be a cheesy ass scene. Yeah. But I actually think it works in this. Like, yeah. it actually kind of brings out a little bit of emotion because you because you've also established the mentor mentee relationship yeah, that yeah. these guys have really effectively early on. So it doesn't just fall flat when you get to that scene later.
2: I agree completely. That scene actually, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up too. That is a very good scene. This, the 50 cal sniper scene is my favorite in the whole movie. The action in this movie in general is just extremely well done. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, beautiful uh, violence. One uh, thing about the Tremor brothers I had no clue Chris Pine was one of them until Dude. like four years
1: after the fact. Same here. I was like reading it, so I was reading through like the facts on this movie, and I was like, "Wait, hold on, that's Chris Pine." Number one, number two, do you know who's supposed to play that part before Michael Shannon? Imagine Michael Shannon is one of the Tremor brothers. Yeah, that would have been interesting.
0: Well, Michael Shannon already played a neo-Nazi in Bad Boys too, didn't he? <laughs>
2: yeah
0: <laughs> as floyd Potite, chris pine is oh. outstanding as that guy like he has the, the interaction with him and martin henderson at the end is yeah like you know shit gets wild and crazy and then martin henderson's just like fuck this and fucking guns him down <laughs> and the way he hangs the keys on the little nub finger because he shot it off it's just it's all so like fucking hilarious I, I love it dude the
1: way he was using uh Ben Affleck is like just sort of a puppet a and mind. just started moving and just started moving his mouth if I if
0: I needed your car I would have killed you too I'll see you up here ben. someday <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's it's great stuff I, I absolutely love it. it
2: it's horrible to say because they're repugnant people but like the neo-nazis in this are hysterical yeah. or at least at least mine is.
1: they're so fucking dumb yeah like they just there's literally no plan of action for them it's just chaos
0: yeah rip shit is what they called it Ripshit, like yeah. it's absolutely accurate Common actually this was peak my love for Common's
2: music so I remember yeah. being pumped he was in a movie because I really, really liked Common. Uh, I mean, I still do. But I thought I think he's good in this. Like, he's not. You know, I don't know if he's the greatest actor ever, but I really, I really enjoy him in this movie. No, Corey, I,
1: you mentioned that scene with uh, with Piven.
0: Yeah, the the scene with Jeremy Piven where he's like, you know, my type of loyalty, where an otherwise reasonable motherfucker like myself will become unreasonable. Like that. That scene's really good with Common. And then Common, you know, he keeps showing up in these like kind of garbage crime movies like he's in john wick too and i love john wick too i think him the 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 fight between him and john wick in that movie is just outstanding so you know this also sets the template for what common can be in movies and i i love it i love when he shows up and stuff
1: i think it's safe to say that um that Jeremy Piven may have went a little extra in his role he
0: went he went a lot in his role like Jeremy Piven is actually probably probably my least favorite part of this movie also I didn't mention this
1: least favorite part as what is it the director of state in fucking the kingdom sorry to like not bring that up but he just like he was a lot in that (laughs) film and it's like there is no official that is ever going to act like that and talk like (laughs) that but that's neither here nor there Uh, in smoke and aces yeah like he's just I don't even know like what his problem Is half the time like apparently his life is over, but good god, the melodrama
0: the melodrama that he's playing is just like you're not a good person at all, so I don't understand why you don't just expect this, and yet you're like up there crying and like, Am I supposed (laughs) to feel bad for you? You're like having a cocaine meltdown, and I'm like, You deserve all this, you're a scumbag.
2: Cocaine's a hell of a drug. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, and like that's the other musical cue is when they use John Cale's "Big White Cloud" during his like breakdown. Really good. And Mm -hmm. you know the last thing, and we've kind of already talked about it quite a bit, but the way it just establishes these really really memorable bit part characters, like Beanie to me, one of Buddy Israel's henchmen, is just like he's outstanding. The scene where he's like. everybody move to the front in an orderly fashion or however the fuck y'all want to, but get going. (laughs) (laughs) Bitch, you forgot your hat. And he throws the wig at her and it's just like that stuff. And then the kid with ADD, when he comes in and just flips his ice cream sandwich in the bathtub while this guy's like sitting there trying to recover from hypothermia. Like it's all so insane. Dude, him with the
1: massive erection while he's just throwing hands. (laughs) Like...
0: So
2: haunts me that scene where he's getting a boner while doing karate is that is that is one of the few times in this movie where I'm like, fuck am I watching?
1: (laughs) I didn't understand that kid's part. Like, I want to know where they're like, okay, and then we're going to have this other kid who's clearly ADHD and or has ADHD and is just going to say some crazy, insane, borderline racist shit. Like,
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, but like, it's still so funny when he comes in. He's like, are you eyeballing me? I feel like you eyeballing me, dog. And it's just like it's so inappropriate, but it's memorable and it's funny. And I it it's just such a it's such a crazy movie and I love it so much.
1: Dude, the part where Beanie though is like, girl, I
0: didn't realize until this moment. <laughs> I didn't realize how fucked up I was until I just saw your ass. You went from Beyonce to Bigfoot in less than six fucking hours. (laughs) Listen, we did a damn thing. (laughs) And she's like, Fuck you, pussy. We already did that dance. (laughs) It's just wow. Beanie Beanie's throwing a thousand. I love her. For a very short
1: amount of time. He was very very impactful.
0: I, I was I was sad when Beanie got it from Hugo, or well, Laszlo in a Hugo face mask.
1: The the um, the the back and forth between him and Buddy Israel over jizz and just to him <laughs> the jizz. It's the like Easter Eastern Orange European jizz. jizz.
0: <laughs> There's just so many memorable scenes, Zach. What were you saying?
2: Uh, no, no, I, I'm just agreeing with you on all of that. My, my only other thing that I have to say, otherwise I would feel like I missed out on speaking uh, about this movie in, in its entirety. This movie's a 9.9 out of 10 for me. Oh. The only thing I don't like is Matthew Fox's character. This is back when he was peak Jack from Lost, and I absolutely loved Lost. And I remember being excited thinking he was going to be a badass in this movie. And then he's like the weirdo guy who works at the hotel. It's just, I don't know why it bugged me so much that he was such a
1: pussy. <laughs> no,
0: nah, I mean, we forgot to talk about Jason Bateman in this movie. Like
1: dude, Jason Bateman's <laughs> character weirds me the fuck out. Like he's got herpes on his face, right? Like that is what yeah. that is.
0: And then he's got the weird rabbit mask and he's like, Hey, get your dick beaters off it. That's not yours. <laughs> yeah, <dude>. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just so many memorable little bits. It's, it's an incredible movie and I don't know why as far as like an action comedy, it's not as fondly remembered as some other ones from the era, because I, I think it's outstanding. I, I love Smoke and Aces so much. It's such a fun movie to just put on and watch. And it's just a good time for two hours. Like
1: I can't believe with the roster it had alone didn't bring it up to over fifty. Fifty mil.
0: I I can't believe it either. It, well, it made more than fifty mil, but it didn't oh. gross it because it had it had a really like pretty big budget. Right. It only grossed like twenty million, and I don't understand that. I saw it in the theater the first time, and I was like, "This is the best movie ever!" And you know, that's a bit. <laughs> it's well, a bit well, it's, of an it's, over. Not, it's not that, but yeah, it's not that. But I like, it. it's awesome. It it just rules. Like, it's so much fun to go see a movie like that.
2: Yeah, uh, I think it probably what held it back a little bit is like if this movie came out now, I think it would be I think it would be a big success. But Ryan Reynolds wasn't Ryan Reynolds yet. So right. he probably wasn't that big of a draw. Neither really Jeremy Piven, I guess. because He was like, this is
1: probably- he was just on his entourage shit. Yeah. Yeah, and this was this like
2: I don't think this was peak Entourage popularity quite yet, right?
1: No, I think he was getting the accolades, like because he pretty early on when Entourage came on, he was getting praise left and right for his for his role there. But so, but then yeah.
0: everyone realized he could only play this dialed up version this of it. himself. Yeah, because the Buddy
1: Israel <laughs> role did not really work.
2: <laughs> I I remember thinking when I saw the trailers for this movie, like, oh, Ben Affleck's going to be the star of this movie, yeah, and then <laughs> obviously.
1: Dude, they just did away with him so quickly. Him and Peter Berg, like, all right, we're, we're we're done with you. You guys did a great job.
0: Right. He has one role and it's to explain the characters. And then when he's done with that, kill him off. We don't yeah. we don't need him in the mix.
1: You thought they were gonna be great as these bounty hunters, and nope. Trember brothers had no
0: time for that.
2: It just dawned on me. Corey loves this movie because Peter Berg gets murked right in
1: the <laughs> beginning.
0: It certainly doesn't hurt my love for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually a really good point no I, I like what Peter Berg is doing in this movie he's like for like Reed, a minute Reed paid us 50 grand man as like the straight guy to this like Martin Henderson's asshole character I I, I dig their interactions
2: only oh, only other tiny gripe and this is a small gripe I remember the first time not really understanding the ending Now now I've seen it so many times I know exactly what's going on but I feel like I remember it being a little confusing as to how they got to the end I like yeah. with the you know, up and
0: the switcheroo, yeah. I I agree and I don't love the ending. I I feel like it's uh it's a bit falsely emotional as like he's pulling out the the plugs on their life support. It's like a great <laughs> it's meant to be this great cinematic moment where he's just sitting there and it's like got the music swelling and it's like slowly panning in on him and it just doesn't really work for me. It falls real flat. It's you know and it's the only kind of logical way the movie could have ended. So I get like some of the gripes about the storyline and how we got here. But at the same time, like the ride to get there was so much fucking fun that I just don't, I don't care that the ending falls a little flat.
1: I just don't care if it had an ending or not. I like, I honestly <laughs> think that it could have just existed as it was with all the things that happened. And like you didn't need to tie anything up for me. I'm not going to be wondering what happened to Buddy Israel. I'm not really <laughs> going to care about what this main mob guy, like I just, I, I don't care. It was, it was just everything else that happened in it. Stop it there. Just stop it there. Like, oh yeah, and then we take off, buddy Israel, and and then and it's over. Yeah, you could have just cut to black, soprano style, and I still would have loved it. Yeah, same, absolute. I would have I still don't really even know what the ending is all about, to be perfectly honest. But I honestly do not care, and I think that's fine.
0: I, I think it could have cut to black with Martin Henderson going fuck it and shooting down Chris Pine. If that, if no. that was if that was how the
1: movie ended, <laughs> yeah. that would have been fantastic.
0: I don't care that you left all these loose storylines with the FBI and Buddy Israel, like. I don't even remember what they were and why we started them. <laughs> who cares? Who cares how we got there? It was just a, <laughs> it was a wild ride, and I, I loved it. Yeah. All right. So that that about wraps us up
1: here. Yeah. I thought this is kind of an interesting meditation on underappreciated films.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that
1: I got to watch movies that I didn't think I would ever have to watch um, or would ever see.
0: Yeah, I, I think it was an interesting exercise. I I do really love how you know I think it represents where we were at during that high school, college age. And I think it probably reflects poorly on us on what Uh we chose. No, absolutely. (laughs) But nonetheless, like that's where we were at in our teenage years. I'm glad we've evolved beyond that, but I still have great affection for all these movies. Zach, what are your closing thoughts?
2: That's exactly it. You nailed it on the head. Like, I'm not going to sit here and argue that the choices I made for my entertainment when I was 16 to uh, 22 years old were all A pluses. But I think it just, it, it represents yeah an era where like what you watched and what you listened to truly just defined your personality so it felt so important to you if you liked something that's why i wanted to talk about it because these are movies that like i don't know i i really thought defined me when i was 18 which is so dumb to think about now but hey that's how it that's how you are when you're 18 years
0: old no and that's exactly how it is and like the the At that time it seems like the most important things. Like what you like defines you. And, you know, it's a stupid thing, but it's also a fun thing to go back and like reminisce and think about. So, you know, there's a lot of problematic things in all these movies. And that shouldn't be like just cast aside, but it it, it is what it is. And when you're a teenager, like you're you're young and you're stupid, and you learn from these things as you get older and wiser, I think.
2: I actually think I have some of these movies still on my Facebook profile for favorite movies because I've never updated that stuff. <laughs>
1: nice, you're still sitting there.
2: Like Linkin Park is one of my favorite bands
1: still. Oh God! <laughs> I, in the beginning Linkin Park, I'm about. I was never on the Linkin Park train. Ah, eh, whatever. Chester Bennington, I think was at least a decent human being. He 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 was something. He was a treasure. Okay. All right. Uh. Zach, thank you so much for not only just uh, doing this with us, but also for coming up with the topic. Uh, This is a really cool one. Got me to watch movies I haven't watched in a while, too, as well. Like, to watch Green Street Hooligans again, like, that was great. Fucking love that movie. And, uh, yeah, man, thank you so much.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. This was a blast, and I uh, I always love reminiscing about the dumb shit that
1: I like. So I appreciate it. <laughs> like, still like, we all still like this shit.
0: Yeah, and I mean, absolutely, Zach. Zach. Thanks so much for bringing us this idea to all our other listeners out there. If you have an idea that you want to do, like if it's good, we will do it. Um, yeah, it, we we love to talk about this stuff with our friends, and um, yeah, follow us on the social media stuff. Back porch Media on Instagram, Porchback Media on Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff where you can do it. Subscribe, like, all those things. Thanks for listening and we'll see you later.